Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome once again to our Sunday morning uh, Bible study. Uh, if you got your Bible at home and you'd like to follow along, uh, our passage this morning is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, and the title of our lesson is Fear Not. Let's go ahead and, and read our verses. It says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now, I want to begin the lesson this morning with a a sort of a disclaimer. And the disclaimer is that I'm not really qualified to to teach this passage. And and you may say, well, why is that? And well, it's really because I'm just a comfortable middle-class American. I've never had to suffer uh, because of my faith. I've never been threatened with, with torture or imprisonment. I've never had to worry about someone knocking down my door and, and confiscating my property or, or separating my, my children from me. And I'm pretty sure the same is true for you. But the fact is, if we had been born in another time or, or in another place, um, things could be different. I mean, just think for a minute this morning, if we were in a Chinese church, in the Chinese church today, pastors are arrested and put in prison. Their, their members are, are persecuted. Their churches are burned down. Their, their Bibles are, are confiscated. See, if that was us, if we were in China today, then this passage would be incredibly uh, relevant. But we're not in China. We live in America. And as of today, we don't really have to fear persecution. We don't have to fear that that knock at the door in the middle of the night. But that doesn't mean that we don't fear. I want to give you a... I just picked out a couple of things, and I'm sure there's many more, but I just picked out a couple of things where we may, as as Christians here in America, uh, have to deal with, with fear. One of the places that we deal with fear, I believe, is fear of the future. You know, right now, probably more than any other time that I can remember, there just seems to be an anxiety or a fear about raising children in this world in which we live. Um, You know, it's this odd thing. I was thinking about this the other day. Never in the history of the world have we been exposed to as much trouble as we are today. Now listen, I'm not saying that there's never been as much trouble. Uh, because, of course, there has. There's been horrible persecutions. Uh, I'm not saying really when it comes to trouble that today is any different than any, any other time in the past. There's always been trouble. What I'm saying is that our modern age is different in, in the way that, for example, we have the Internet. We have 24-hour news cycle. We have social media. What's different is not that there's more trouble. What's different is that we are exposed to more of it. Today, because of all these things I just mentioned, we have to take on everybody's trouble. You see, it used to be the trouble you knew was just the trouble that you experienced personally. 
it was maybe the trouble that that you saw or the trouble that maybe somebody told you about or at, at, at the most extreme maybe the newspaper came and it was something you read about in the newspaper but today we have to carry the troubles of the world every single day we have to deal with the troubles of the world in detail we get it with pictures and with with video see it's too much it's more than the human heart was ever intended to bear, and, and it, it intimidates, it, it frightens, it creates anxiety and, and fear. Now, as a grandfather, I feel this for my grandchildren. I, I find myself experiencing this when I watch the news and I see all this stuff that's happening. Now, I'm sure parents feel it, but I'm going to tell you something that's odd. I, as a grandfather, I think as, a, as an older person, We've seen what can go wrong in just one generation. We've seen the kind of change that can come to this country in just one generation. So our fear may even be more acute than even those of, of parents. So that's one fear I think that a lot of us are dealing with. Another fear we deal with is the fear of sharing our faith. I, I think this is something, um, I used to think that some Christians were just weren't afraid of it, and some were. I've come to believe that all Christians have to deal with some level of fear uh, when it comes to sharing their faith. It could be because of a fear of embarrassment. It could be more than likely a fear of failure, um, that they're just not you know, afraid they won't do it the right way. Or it could be a fear of, of rejection. Now, here's the thing. We've said this often in our study of First Peter. Our purpose in life is to proclaim the excellencies of God. To display him on our life and we do that with our actions but we're also called uh, to do that with our words and so that fear has an effect so our passage today is all about how to deal with fear in your life it may be again fear of persecution it may be fear of uh, uh, of the future or fear of sharing your faith or a multitude of other fears that we have to to deal with so how when we have fears in our life how do we secure ourselves how do we come to the point where we do not let our fears rule us? Now, Peter is going to give us six very practical instructions. And I, I would ask you this morning to, to pay very close attention because if you're dealing with fear now, you're going to have a real problem when things get worse down the road. And, and trust me, they will get worse. So here in this passage today, Peter's going to give us really some attitudes that are the heart of our peace, our confidence, our security. And these are the things that are going to fortify us and enable us in the midst of all these fears uh, to live lives that overcome that fear and proclaim uh, the gospel. So six things he's going to give us. The first attitude that he's going to give us that, that allows us to overcome our fear is a passion for goodness. Let's look at verse 13. It says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, surprisingly, this is the first line of defense against fear, to be zealous for what is good. Now, Peter could mean two things here. First, he could just be giving us a, a basic idea similar to a proverb. For example, Proverbs 6.17 says this, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, 
that is not always true. That's a that's a that's a a, a general uh, truth, but it's not always true a hundred percent of the time. After all, look in the Bible: men like Stephen, men like Peter, men like Paul. These were all men whose lives were absolutely pleasing to God, yet their enemies killed them. You see, a proverb is not a promise without exception, but it's a maxim that generally holds true. Think about uh, raise up a child in the way they should go and they won't depart from it. Well, that is generally true, but it's not 100% always. I mean, we all know uh, situations where kids were raised up in the way they should go, and they did depart uh, from it. But it, but in general, it's true. Trust me, if you raise them up, if you don't raise them up in that way, then they're for sure going to depart. So I think that's what Peter may be saying here is it's just a, a basic idea that an upright life is more peaceful than a, a wicked life. This is not some profound doctrine. It's just a self-evident truth. In life, people have a harder time hurting those that are doing good. Now, that's not impossible. In fact, Peter's not saying that that's always true. In fact, we're going to see this in a little bit uh, because he's writing to people who are undergoing uh, suffering. But in, in general, it's unusual for folks to mistreat people who are passionate about doing good. Now, that may be what Peter means. Peter also may be looking at this from uh, at a, in a more ultimate way. You remember in Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said this, Do not fear those who kill the body but they can't kill the soul. Jesus is saying, look, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what they do to you. They cannot touch your soul. They cannot touch your eternal destiny. And, and so he, he looked at it from an ultimate way. Peter may be doing that the same way. He may be saying, look, at the end of the day, who can harm you if you're zealous for doing good? Regardless, both of these are true. And I think the key word here that I want to focus on in this verse is zealous. Peter's talking about a people that are passionate for what is good. This isn't someone who just does good from time to time. This isn't someone who gets up in the morning and says, you know, if uh, if, if something if the opportunity arises today, uh, I'm going to do something good. No. You know, I think about people who are passionate about hunting or passionate about fishing or passionate about golf or passionate about shopping or passionate about music. They don't get up in the morning and think, well, you know, if I, if it happens, no. They go looking for opportunities to practice or do those things. That's what he's saying here. They are Someone is zealous. They're passionate about doing good. Uh, go back to 1 Peter 3.11. We talked about it last week. Peter said, uh, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. I mentioned that word pursue is the Greek word for hunt. Um, don't just wait for it to come to you. Don't just wait for a situation to present itself and then deal with it. No, go looking for ways to make peace. Go looking for ways to do good. And so Peter's talking about it's not just something these people do. It's literally uh, who they are. And, and again, I would ask you that question before we leave here. Are you doing that? Are you looking for opportunities to do good? Not just sitting back waiting for them to come to you, but are you looking for them? The second attitude that Peter gives us in order to, to, to combat or eliminate fear in our life is a willingness to uh, suffer. Verse 14, he said this, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. Now, again, this is very basic. 
let's assume that you're passionate about doing good. Let's assume that you're righteous and kind and generous and benevolent and all of those things. It could still happen that you're going to suffer anyway. The old English word for that was perchance. Uh, as I said earlier, it's not impossible. A lot of folks throughout the years, both in the Bible and outside the Bible, have been passionate about good works, and yet they've still been uh, persecuted. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, the very people that Peter is writing to are going through this very thing. These are righteous people. These are godly people, and yet they're suffering for those very things. Listen to Peter's words to these people in, in, in chapter 4. He says, Beloved, do not think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You see, it is harder to harm someone who does good, but it can happen, and it does happen. And when it does, Peter says, don't, don't think it's strange. Don't, don't think, oh, where's God? He, he told me this wouldn't happen. No, no. Peter wants you to know God, it's his will. God is in the suffering, working all things for good. In fact, look what he says in verse 14. Even if it happens to you, you will be blessed. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, I don't think he's talking about happy. I think he's more talking about you are highly privileged. You are getting a chance to suffer for Christ. You know, when, when suffering comes, especially when suffering or persecution arises because we're Christians, we need to keep something in mind. It's really not about us. In fact, I, I try to remind myself of that all the time. I'm not that important. It's about Him. See, it, the fact is, it's Christ they hate. It's the enemy in them who hates the Christ in you. It's really not about me. We just tend to be the ones that bear the brunt of that hate. But what an honor and what a privilege. So to say we're blessed means that we are privileged. But by the way, that's only in this world. It also means a future blessing in eternity. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you, you, if you suffer for Christ, you've just been added to a, a very elite uh, group of people. So my advice is make up your mind now. Don't wait. We, yes, we live in America. Yes, we don't have to fear that today. But don't wait. Make up your mind now. Make up your mind that you're going to walk in the steps of Christ no matter what comes into your life. If it's persecution, you'll deal with it. Um, if it's fear of sharing your faith, you'll deal with it today. If it's a fear of the future, you'll deal with it. Whatever that fear is, go ahead and make up your mind that you're going to serve Christ and your reward will be great in heaven. Number three, or the third attitude that uh, Peter calls us to, to eliminate fear, is a focus on Christ. So here's the situation. There's this evil all around us, evil that hates the Christ within us. And Peter says in verse 14, have no fear of them, and don't even be troubled. 
But it's the next phrase that I think is the absolute key phrase in this passage. He said this, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but, or on the contrary, or instead, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, what does he mean? Well, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we all know the Lord's Prayer, we've been praying it since we were, were children, we all know the first line. It says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That word for hallowed is the Greek word hagios. It means to make holy, to consecrate, to set apart, to, to sanctify. That is the exact same word that Peter uses in this passage. The exact same word. It says, but in your hearts, honor. That's that word hagios or hollow Christ the Lord as holy. You see, this means we are to regard him as our greatest value, our supreme treasure, our most cherished prize. He is the one that we esteem and honor in our hearts above anybody else or anything else. Now, as I said, please don't miss this because this is by far the key statement in this passage. How do we hallow Christ, or, or put it this way, what does hallowing Christ or honoring Christ have to do with us not fearing? Well, Peter is saying rather than be afraid, rather than fearing Satan or fearing the future or fearing embarrassment or fearing persecution, on the contrary, honor Christ, adore Christ, venerate Christ, recognize his sovereignty, his holiness, his majesty, his glory. You see, in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of these things that, that, that want to bring fear and anxiety in your life, you focus on Christ. You set Christ apart as worth anything, and that will give you the courage to overcome fear. I'm sure we've all heard this saying, and I believe it's true. You know, I used to think people who were courageous were fearless, but they're not really fearless. They, they just overcome their fear. We've all got fears, but people of true courage overcome that fear, and the way we do that is by setting Christ to a point where he's everything. Any embarrassment is worth, is worth serving him. Any rejection is worth serving him. Any persecution is 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 worth it in light of who Christ is to us. Number four, the fourth attitude is a promise of glory. Look at verse 15. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, the fact that someone is asking implies that they've noticed our passion for doing good. They've noticed something is different. Now, by the way, if they're not asking, that also implies something as as well. But here's the thing. I think when we read this verse, we think, okay, somebody's going to come up to us and they're going to notice we're different and they're going to say, hey, you know, can you tell me why you're different? But you got to understand this asking that Peter's talking about can come sometimes come in a positive light but it can also come in a negative light. For example, the questions may come to you like this. Why won't you recant? Why do you insist on preaching this gospel? Why do you insist on always talking about this Jesus? Why don't you just go along with the culture? Why, why do you have to call what we do sin? See, question, this question about your behavior, about your actions, about your this hope that they see in you can come in a lot of different ways. 
Peter says, be prepared to defend yourself. Now, here's what I want to point out. I want you to notice here that Peter tells us specifically what we are to defend. And he says, defend the hope that is in you. You see, I think over the years, and I've been guilty of this, many people read this verse. Be prepared to give a defense. And we immediately think, man, i got to know the Bible better. I, I, I just don't know enough scripture. I, I don't know how to really defend scripture. I don't know what, what to say if, if they go this direction. Let me tell you, let me put your mind at ease for a moment. You don't need to defend the Bible. The, the Bible's like a lion. Just let it out of its cage. Let it, it'll take care of itself. Don't worry about that. Peter says, defend your hope. Defend your hope. Now, what is he talking about? Hope in what? Eternal life in heaven with Jesus Christ. You see, whatever sacrifices we make now are made in the light of what God has waiting for us in eternity. Whatever deprivations, whatever we go without in this life, we accept in the light of the riches of, of glory. Listen, I'm, this is not me talking. This is the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God in the hope that the creation will be set free. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, when somebody comes to me and says, why do you live the way you live? Why don't, why don't you engage in these worldly pleasures like everybody else? We don't say, our answer should not be because I want to live my best life now. The, the answer shouldn't be because I, I meet good people. Um, the answer shouldn't be because I want health and wealth or I want a more abundant life. The answer shouldn't be, it makes me feel better about myself. Listen, none of those things are a defense for what we believe at all. In fact, a lot of those things you can get in a self-help group. The defense for what we believe is that we know there's life after death. That's our defense. And that life is going to be so glorious that the Bible describes it as pleasures forevermore. Not only no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. Those things are gone. But pleasures forevermore. So why do we do what we do? Why do we forego worldly pleasures? Why do we martyr ourselves? Why do we insist on gathering together every single week? Why do we do any of these things? Well, Peter's already told us in 1 Peter chapter 1. We have been born again to a living hope, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. You see, it's all about eternity. It's all about life after death and what awaits us there. Now let's go back to the fifth, verse 15. Peter says this, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and do it with respect. Listen, the gospel message is very simple. You need to tell a person what sin is and how it has alienated us from God. 
They need to know who Christ is and how he bore our sin on the cross through his death and resurrection. And finally, they need to know how to accept God's gift of eternal life and forgiveness through faith. You can learn a few key verses for each point and, and you've got it. It's really a pretty simple thing. But I think when it comes to sharing our faith, we're often afraid that, man, somebody's going to ask me a question I just cannot answer, right? Like, why does God allow suffering? And and we're just so afraid that they're going to go in a different direction that we don't do it. And by the way, they may very well do that. You see, people often raise those types of objections, and they do it for a reason, because they don't want to talk about sin. They want to divert you. Let's go talk about suffering. Let's go talk about these things, but let's don't talk about my sin. They don't want to face that. You see, a person's resistance isn't for intellectual reasons. A person's resistance is always for moral reasons. And, and there's ways that you can address that. If somebody wants to go talking about a subject like that, you could say, well, hey, let me ask you a question. If I can, if I can resolve that question for you, would you give your life to Jesus Christ? See, the fact is, you, they'll probably hopefully see that's really, the answer to that was probably going to be no, because that's not really the issue. Or, or maybe you say something like this, are you willing to read the Bible and humbly ask God to show you the answer to that? Yes or no? Regardless of how they respond, we are to respond with gentleness and respect. See, we need to remember that was us at one time. I was an unbeliever. I didn't care about God. I didn't want anybody talking to me about sin. So try to remember that. And remember, above all, Jesus loves them. And Jesus died for them. So we have a passion for goodness. We have a willingness to suffer. And we have a focus on Christ. All because of the hope of coming glory. Number five. The fifth attitude or the fifth thing Peter says, if you don't want to have fear in your life, is you need to have a clear conscience. Now, we all know what our conscience is. We won't spend a lot of time. It's that, it's that little inner radar, that inner feeling that kind of tells us if we're doing right or we're doing uh, wrong. The Greek word that it comes from literally be, means to know or to be aware of. You see, whether we acknowledge God or not, the fact is we were every human being was created to have fellowship with Him. And when we do wrong, when we sin, when we break, do something that breaks that fellowship... We get this feeling inside that is really disturbing. Uh, we call it a guilty conscience. And, and human beings have tried all kind of ways to, to clear that conscience, to, to get rid of that feeling. They, they do charity work. They, um, some people you've seen in, in countries will whip themselves or cut themselves. And, I mean, actually self-mutilate themselves. But that, none of that stuff works. And so people, after a while, they figure out it doesn't work. So they'll try to drown it out with drugs or alcohol or other other things. But there's only one way that we have to, to, to clear our conscience. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to Jesus. Let us draw near to him with a true heart in full assurance of faith and have our hearts sprinkled or cleansed from an evil conscience. You see, you want a clear conscience? You bring your sin to Jesus. You acknowledge your inability to do anything about it. And then you trust that his death and resurrection 
are sufficient to cover it. That's it. That's that's a clear conscience. And see, the fact is, as Christians, you, you saw the writer of Hebrews was writing to brothers and sisters. We're going to fail. We're going to commit sin. We're going to mess up. We're going to do things that, that come in the way, and we're going to have a guilty conscience. And, and Peter says this, that we should have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, See, the fact is, if you want to live without fear, you need to have a pure conscience. And, and there may come a time when you're slandered for something you've said. You're insulted for something you've said or done. And people are trying to make you feel bad. People are trying to make you feel guilty. People are trying to, to make you feel anxiety and fear. But if your conscience is clear before God, they cannot succeed. See, Romans 2 tells us our conscience is is, is the ultimate earthly court in this world. It either excuses us or accuses us. And if your conscience is clear, you can take whatever comes and you can still be at peace. But the fact is, if there's sin in your life, you're not going to be at ease before God, especially when trouble and persecution uh, comes. Finally, and we close with this, the last thing, and I love this as I always do, Peter says, above all else, you need to have a trust in the sovereignty of God. Verse 17, he closes this way. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. At the end of the day, whatever happens, I put it on the bedrock foundation of the sovereignty of God. And uh, when, when that happens, I can overcome any fear as long as I know that he's in control. Let's pray. Father, as always, we thank you for your word. Father, help us to be people that are zealous for good. Help us to be a people that are uh, ready and willing and able to give a defense for the hope that is in us. Help us be people that put your glory on display. Help us to be a people that honor you in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I pray for a boldness for everybody that's listening here today. I just pray for a boldness um, to share our faith, a boldness to face the future, not with fear and anxiety, but God with expectation of what you're going to do. We thank you for all you've done for us. We, uh, we just, uh, once again, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that when we mess up, we can come to you and clear our conscience. What a wonderful thing that is. And we just uh, give you all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.